following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. We're starting a new series this week called The Shame Cycle. And uh, I just, I, I, I like this because... This is a cycle that we all can get caught in. It doesn't matter how far along in our faith we are, we can all get caught in that. And that starts with seduction. I think we have a, I can't see the, oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it starts with our seduction, right? We try to be seduced in toward, into sin. And we're going to look at that a little bit more today. That's, that's what we're focusing on today is, is seduction. And the next week, we're going to focus on sin, that not only are we seduced into sin, but then there's the actual sin. And learning about what is sin and how do we, how do we begin to abort the, the pattern of sin in our life so that we can begin to experience the blessing of God. And then finally, shame. You know, it talks about called the shame cycle. And it's, shame is not just that I, I think I did something bad, but it's I think that I am bad. And because of that, that begins to erode my identity in Christ and who I am. And, and oftentimes the way we, we cope with that is by looking for a quick fix to feel better, which leads us back into seduction, sin, and shame. And the cycle continues, and it's a downward spiral of our identity in Christ, and it erodes who we are. So I thought that would be a really great series to kind of start things off with because uh, that's one of the things that can really just disrupt our, our, our God-given calling in life and who God's created us to be. And so we're going to be looking at the same shame cycle. And the verse we're going to be looking at as the theme verse is Genesis chapter 3. So before we jump in, let's pray. God, thanks for this message. Thanks for this talk. And I pray that, Lord, it's, it reaches some people's hearts and begins to help them to be freed, to live the freedom that you have called us to live and the life with you, Jesus. God, I know that you can take something as, uh, as so general as God's word and speak it specifically to each and everyone's circumstances. So I pray that you do that today, God, that people's lives would be open up, their hearts and minds would be open up to your word that would be implanted in their heart and that your word would produce the fruit of eternal life in their lives. In your precious name we pray, amen. So Genesis chapter 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals of the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, the serpent has taken God's command, which God's original command was, you may eat of any tree in the garden, except the one in the middle, the the tree of the knowledge of, of, of good and evil. And so he had flipped this command, which was really a command about liberation, Here's all the things you can do except this one little thing. And he flipped it around and he said, did God really say you can't eat from any tree? So all of a sudden he's he's twisted it into a negative form and also embellished it to make it every tree in the garden. And so what what he's doing is beginning to plant a doubt in Eve's mind. And and I'm going to refer to Eve a lot. But guys, you're not off the hook either because Adam originally heard the command from God and not where, where Eve threw it, heard Adam. So maybe Adam kind of missed something and when he was telling Eve. So I'm going to refer to Eve a lot, but guys, I mean, Adam is not off the hook at all. He's just as bad, if not worse, than Eve because he originally heard the command. So just going to try to be fair for the ladies in here, okay? Can I hear it from the ladies, right? Thank you. So put that in there for you. 
Um, So the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So here the serpent has drawn Eve into a discussion, and she shows her ignorance, her lack of understanding in this, because first of all, she added something to the word of God. She said, don't touch it, that we can't touch the tree, and God never said that. And also, she didn't know the name of the tree. So the serpent realizes that she has lacked understanding. She doesn't know God's word. And so now he moves in for the kill. He says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You see, it it, it was really, really tragic because the devil said, really the serpent said, you will be like God if you eat from the fruit. But really, Adam and Eve are already like God. God made them in his image. And so by, by... Becoming eating the fruit, they're actually becoming less like God. And, and what I want to talk to you today is, is about the title of Don't Talk to Your Temptations. Don't talk to your temptations. Because every temptation starts with our, a doubt in our head of something that you can't do, a limitation. God begins to look like a God of limitations rather than a God of liberation, of what he wants to free us to be able to do. And... and our faith then begins to become about rules and restrictions, that rules and restrictions apply. You know, we, we've been using coupons. We get coupons from Safeway, my wife and I. And as we get these coupons, you know, there's certain rules and restrictions may apply, right? You, you begin to walk in the store and you're thinking that you can use this coupon for kind of a two-for-one. And, and you look and, and the coupon says, no, it's only at the Safeway and Kathmandu that you can do it. And only on, on, the, on leap years that you can use this coupon, Right? Or, or you, you have your, your frequent flyer miles, and you want to use your frequent flyer miles. Maybe you have one of those Alaska Airlines credit cards, and you've saved up all your airlines, and you want to use it, and they're like, oh, you thought you could use, uh, uh, use your frequent flyer miles. Well, you don't actually get a seat on the plane. You've got to sit in the bathroom if you want, want to use your frequent flyer miles. And, and that's only on, on the 13th month of the year, which never happens, of course, so... Uh, Rules and restrictions may apply. And when we, when we think about, about that to our faith, when we begin to take the perspective on, that God is a God of limitations to our faith, then we begin to, to see what some of the culture... Now, I left this here, so I've got to get it real quick. <laughs> so my wife and I, we're buying a house right now. So we, we look through a lot of rules and restrictions. And uh, so maybe, maybe we look at our faith as, as one of those those documents that you've got to sign when you buy a house, right? You know, you don't, you don't read, we don't read everything, all of the legalese in there. You just kind of sign it and hope that you never find out what actually is in there, that nobody ever says to you, like, this is what you actually have to do. Like, you just hope to God that you can just sign it and be done with it, right? Or maybe, or maybe our, um, our faith becomes like a law book. And it's like, well, uh, okay, let's look at, uh, John or, or Leviticus chapter 13 verse 
and, and here's what you have to do. And so our faith becomes about all the laws and all the things that we have to live up for and because rules and restrictions apply to our faith. And so we've got to know when we've, all the rules and restrictions because if we don't, then we're going to find out that, that we're going to end up somewhere we didn't want because we didn't follow it to the letter of the law. And so our faith becomes about, about the law book. Or our faith comes like this, Right? God is a God. I, we just watched Bruce Almighty this weekend, and he said, smite me, almighty smiter. And, and God becomes like this. And the, my wife, she used to threaten our kids with the wooden spoon. If they didn't behave. And so, <laughs> so this is the wooden spoon. And so we could hold this up. That God is like this in the sky, ready to smite us, smack us on the butt, right? I don't know if you can say butt in church, but anyway. <laughs> um, and so we, we, look at, we look at God like this, right, that, that this is how God wants to be. You guys are really attentive right now. This is good. I like this. Um, yeah, so, so, um, so we can look at God in those different ways. And, and, and we, our faith becomes about the rules and restrictions that God has in our life. And, and so Eve, she tries to correct Satan. And Eve... Uh, Sorry, the serpent tries to pull her into a discussion. And, and she tries to correct him. In her pride, she wants to correct and she wants to make it right. No, serpent, you have it wrong. This is what God actually said. But, but actually, that's the, what the serpent wanted. He wanted to draw her into a discussion and by, because by that way, he could continue to grow the doubt in her mind of what he, what he, what he wanted God to look like. Because our pride is, is the, the thing that we're trying to correct the, the serpent or correct Satan or correct somebody else in our pride. But it's also our pride that becomes our downfall. Because it's our pride that says, no, you actually deserve this. You actually, you, you actually deserve these things. This is what, you, what is good for you. And so we look to that because that becomes our downfall. And so we can't talk to our temptations because the more we talk to our temptations, the deeper into temptation we go. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, is that we can't keep talking to our temptations if we want to live a life that's free, because ultimately it will make it seem like God is not good and sin is not bad, right? Because sin is fun. And we're going to talk about that more later. Um, so Adam and Eve finally gave in to temptation because it, the sin, sin looks fun, sin looks good, the fruit looked good, sin looked, looked like a good thing because the serpent made it seem like God is not good and sin is not bad. And so Eve gives in to her temptation, she eats from the fruit, Adam eats from the fruit, and they end up becoming um, in, in the sinful situation. And what happens is, is that Eve is tempted with the same three temptations that 1 John 2.16 describes. She's tempted with, uh, the, says that the, the fruit looked, uh, was good for food. That's the lust of the flesh. It looked pleasing to the eye. That's the lust of the eyes. And it, looked, it was desirable for gaining wisdom. That's the pride of life. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the things that, these are the same three temptations that we all deal with. And also, these are the same three temptations that Jesus faced in Matthew chapter 4. So we're going to look actually at two passages today. Uh, and we're going to kind of compare these two of how Eve dealt with it and how Jesus dealt with it. And so in Matthew chapter 4, 
Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Jesus is hungry, right? This is one of the most obvious statements in the Bible the Bible makes because he's been fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and Jesus was hungry. Well, obviously, he's not going to be hungry if he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. But what I think the Bible is, is trying to, to let us know is that Jesus was really hungry. And so the serpent comes to him and tells him to turn these stones into bread. And, and, what, and what he says is, if you are the Son of God, or since you are the Son of God. But either way, he, the serpent is, is trying to get Jesus to prove that he's the Son of God. And, and, and what, what I think it's saying to us is that, is that Jesus was really hungry, and he really could do something about it. And sometimes we get really hungry, and we can do something about it, so much so that we're willing to compromise our heavenly calling towards God to be able to get so far outside of what he's calling us to do that we end up being in the point that that we turn away from God, and we turn away from what he wants. Because like I said earlier, sin is fun. Anybody that says sin isn't fun isn't doing it right. Because sin, <laughs> sin can be fun, right? And it looks good for a while, for a while that we're doing it. And we, and we can, can try to follow God, but, but ultimately what happens is, is, we, is we con- when we continue to talk to our temptations, then we, we end up far outside of the will of God. You know, nobody ever wakes up and says, I'm going to have an affair with my wife. But... But they start with a, maybe a conversation or, with, with, or and, you know, with, with another person at work or somewhere. And soon that conversation turns into texts. And soon those texts turn into a lunch date. And pretty soon your spouse starts not looking as good as the person you might have an affair with. The person didn't, didn't think that they would get to that point. But then they ended up getting to that point. Nobody ever wakes up and says, I want to have an affair with somebody. Nobody ever wakes up and says, I want to have a drug addiction. It's, it's kind of with, with the, the, the spouse example, it's kind of that 80-20 rule. We don't realize the 80% that our spouse is giving us, and we compare it with the 20% the other person might give us. And that's true in any situation. It doesn't just have to be in a marriage. It could be, in, in, like I said, with drug addiction. It could be with, with money. It could be with so many things that we, grass always seems greener on the other side. So much so that we don't realize what we have. But Jesus doesn't have any of it. He responds in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. He said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, Jesus doesn't rationalize with the devil why it's wrong to turn stone into bread. He just says, he just resorts to the scripture. He resorts to the Bible. He resorts to the word of faith. And it's 
kind of interesting because Jesus is the word and he resorts to the word. And so um, he's there and, and, and Jesus didn't want to compromise himself. So he, comprom- he compromises his temptation through his commitment. There's a story in the Old Testament about a guy named Joseph. And Joseph, while he's there, he's a slave, sold into slavery. And he ends up in the house of Potiphar, who was a wealthy Egyptian. And he's doing good. He's, he's being blessed by God, even in slavery. And Potiphar trusts him with everything in his household. And Potiphar's wife wants to try to seduce Joseph. And so she, she keeps trying to get him to come to bed with her. And one time... He's, he's alone, and she catches him alone, and she grabs his coat and says, come to bed with me. And he, he leaves his coat, and he runs away. I think that's the right response to temptation. That we have to, there's something Navy pilots used to do. It was called observe, orient, and decide. When they were flying, they had to make split-second decisions. And so they would observe. They would stop and make themselves aware of what's going on with them and their surroundings. And then they would orient themselves. They they would realize, uh, okay, based off of this, based off of where I'm supposed to be, based on what I'm supposed to do, what what is going on? And then they would decide. And decide means to cut off some options in favor of one option. And I think that that that's what we're called to do, is that when we're faced with with temptation, we're called to observe what's going on with ourselves, to be self-aware of what's going on in our hearts and in our minds, and then to orient ourselves. What does God say? What is God's word? And then to decide. Because that's why it's so important for us to memorize our Bible, for us to be in our Bible. Because I find when I'm in my Bible, I have God's power in my life to be able to to stay away from temptation, to be able to to free myself of it. And, And so listen to Romans 8. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him... The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads you to death. See, the way we we are free from from the seduction of the serpent is is by by being in God's word, by memorizing his word, by having things that we can pull up at a moment's notice so that we can orient ourselves to God's word in the midst of the temptation so that we might be able to make the right decision to be able to follow God and not give up our heavenly calling for, for an earthly compromise. And I think that in the midst of this, um, we have to realize what freedom is. Freedom is not just the ability to do whatever you want. Freedom is really the ability to, to live out the life God has called and created you for. That, that's, the, that's what freedom, because that's really what we want to live. We want to live into the freedom of who God has created us for. Doing whatever we want to do will ultimately lead us into the slavery of sin into the shame cycle that, we, that I talked about earlier. And so the devil can't get Jesus to, to be able to, to turn stones into bread. And so he says to Jesus, he says, throw yourself off. Uh, throw yourself off on the highest point of the temple. He brings him to the highest point of the temple. And you can be sure that there's a crowd of people below the temple. And as Jesus is seeing this crowd, that he's seen that what the devil is trying to say is this could be great PR for your Messiah campaign. You know, throw yourself off the, off the temple and, and all of these people will see angels catch you and slowly lower you down. And, and, and how, how easy would it be then to say that you're the Messiah, that you're the Son of God? Because then everybody would believe it because they saw this amazing thing. And, and I think 
the surest way to compromise our, our heavenly calling from God is to be able to, to live for the approval of other people. To be able to, to try to say, hey, look at me. Hey, why don't you like me? And, and I was on Facebook this last week because my example last week was on Facebook a little bit more. And I was just seeing how so many times, there's a lot of great things on Facebook. I'm not ditch, dissing Facebook at all. Um, but there's a lot of times that we can try to throw on Facebook a fake facade of, of who we want to be, who we, who we hope to be, but maybe not who we actually are. Because we want people to like us. And in our isolated society and, and all that we deal with, we, we are desperate for attention t- at times. And so maybe we'll say, hey, if, if I wear it this low, will you like me? If I wear it this high, will you like me? If I act like this, will you like me? If I, if I go against my standards and what I know is right, will you like me? Because we want to be liked. We want to be known for what, what we do and for, for who we are. And it's not a wrong thing to be liked. But it, but it will lead us into another cycle of another shame cycle, constantly having to live for the approval of others. There was a parable, it was an Indian parable, and there was a grandfather talking to his son. And the the grandfather told the son that inside of us are two wolves. One wolf is a good wolf that represents all of the, you know, kindness, goodness, um, love, bravery, all of these good things. And inside of us is also another wolf that that represents greed and lust and, and power grabbing and, and, all, and, and cruelty and hatred and, and all of these things. And the son thought for a moment and he said, Grandfather, which wolf wins? And the grand, grandfather said, the one you feed. See, in our lives, what you feed grows and what you starve dies. What you feed grows and what you starve dies. So the more we feed the approval of others in our life, the bigger the need becomes and the more we need the approval of others. Jesus knew this, but Jesus didn't have to resort to that. Jesus said, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And you see, I think Jesus was able to to push off the temptation of the devil in Matthew chapter 4 because of what happened in Matthew chapter 3. Would you like to know what happened in Matthew chapter 3? Yes, okay. So Matthew chapter 3, uh, Jesus goes to, to John the Baptist, and he's, as his name for, in, indicates, baptizing people. And uh, he comes up, and, and John the Baptist recognizes who Jesus is, and he tells Jesus, uh, you know, you, sh- I, you should be baptizing me. I'm not, I don't need to baptize you. But Jesus said, it needs to be done to fulfill all righteousness. And then Jesus went down, and as he came up, a dove came down on him from heaven, and like the Holy Spirit. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. I think the point at which this happened was really, really important for Jesus. Because this was before Jesus did anything in his ministry. It's before he had healed the lame, raised, opened the eyes of the blind, before he had raised the dead, before he had preached the gospel, before he had done anything, God came to him and said, you are my son, my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And so Jesus was able to face massive rejection in his life, 
starting with Satan trying to get him to prove who he is, trying to get him to, to show that, that he can do all these amazing things, and people calling him name, the Pharisees trying to reject him, and ultimately people rejecting him on the cross because he realized that the approval of God mattered more than the approval of anybody else could give him. Truth be told, the approval of other people lasts an hour if you're lucky. And then you've got to prove something else. You've got to show something else. You've got to try to reach higher. And the bar never is high enough. It's always, if it reaches there, it always goes higher. But when you begin to notice the approval of God in your life, the approval of one who will give you eternal approval in your life, then it doesn't matter what other people are saying. And you can be free to live out your heavenly calling, what God has created and called you for, because he's already said, you are my son, you are my daughter, my beloved, with you I am well pleased. For us to remember that in the times that we face, when we're feeling alone, when we're feeling rejected, to remember that we have the eternal approval of our Heavenly Father who will always be there for us, who will always be there to bless us, to protect us, to take care of us. That is the approval that I'm wanting to search for, and I hope you are too. So the more we, we feed the need for the approval of others, the more it grows. But Jesus didn't want to be, handle that. Jesus wanted to live for the approval of God. And so Satan can't get Jesus to, to turn stones into bread. and He can't get Jesus to, um, to throw himself down at the top of the temple. And so he takes Jesus up on a high mountain, the Bible says, so that he can see all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, I will give you all these if you bow down and worship me. You see, this is, this is the pride of life. This is trying to get Jesus to, to, to bow down and to say, um, I want power over all the world. And, and it wasn't bad for Jesus to have power over all the world. He's the son of God. He deserves it. He should get it. And that's what the, what the, what the devil is, is trying to show Jesus. Like I said last week, if there's no truth in the, in the lies that the devil tells us, then we would completely just reject them. But there's got to be a little bit of truth in there. And so Jesus deserves earthly power. He deserves that because he is the son of God. He's the only one, only one really who deserves it. And, and, but yeah, and so sometimes we can think that, you know, I, I, I deserve this power. I've worked really hard or, or my end is really good. I really want to do some good things. Maybe I want to make a change in the world or I want to provide for my family. And so our motivation starts out really good, but in the process the end begins to justify the means, and we begin to do whatever means we can do to be able to reach this end. You know, before I, I went into ministry, I was working for a congressman, and I was, I was a caseworker, and there was a, you know, we were just kind of trying to help people and do great things and make a difference in the world, and this consultant came in because he was about to go into his re-election campaign, and he was talking to us about all these different things, and he was, he was telling us, uh, what's the most important thing? What's the most important thing in, in, in your job and what you do? And so we were all offering different answers, and one person said, people, people are the, all, all the most important thing. And the consultant said, no, you're wrong. Because if the congressman isn't reelected, then he can't help people. And so actually him getting reelected, the campaign is the most important thing. And I began to think that, if that's the, the view we take of life, that, that I'm the most important thing in this situation, in this circumstance, 
then I'm going to lift my needs, my desires, always above other people. And then the end begins to justify the means, and then the means become my end. Power, I wanted power so I could do something good, but then power becomes my end. It becomes the thing that I'm striving for. And so I'll step on top of anybody else to be able to get power. And luckily, the congressman said, no, people are the most important. That's why we're here, to make a difference. I can't say that's always true, but um, unfortunately. But, um, but that's, that's what, can, what can happen, right? The end can begin to justify the means. And so uh, another thing maybe is we want to say, uh, hey, I want to provide for my family. I really want to do this. And again, like I said, we watched Bruce Almighty. Not trying to be a trailer for the movie, but uh, just <laughs> some good examples. Um, he's, he's there, and he just lost his job, the, the Bruce character uh, played by Jim Carrey. And he, uh, he's sitting in an apartment, and he's, he's really upset because he's, he's telling her that, we, well, I want to provide for my family. I want to do all these good things. But he just lost his job, and so he's really angry. And so, so he says, I don't want a mediocre apartment or a mediocre job or a mediocre life. And he realizes what he said, that he said that to his wife. And his wife now feels like she's part of that mediocreness, that she's a mediocre wife. And he realizes what he said. And I think so often we can think, oh, I want to provide for my family, so I want, I want to work. And yet, and so we, we stay longer and longer hours, and we want more, more and more money or better and better position. And, and we start to become that person that's always striving after our work, becoming a workaholic. And in the midst of that, we're, trying, we're thinking that we're providing for our family. But what about our family's emotional needs? What about our, our family's needs for our time? You know, love is spelled T-I-M-E. That is, love is spelled by time. And so how are we providing for our families that way? And, and I think that, that, again, that can come back to the end can begin to justify the means, but the means ends up becoming the end. Um, but Jesus isn't having any of it. He's, he's not wanting to sacrifice what's sacred on the altar of his pride. Instead, what Jesus says is, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Jesus is too busy with his purpose to, to, for pride. You know, Proverbs sixteen twenty seven says, Idle hands are the devil's workshop. When we begin to be too busy about God's purpose in our life, then what happens is that we begin to, to, begin to not focus on all the temptations. When I'm just sitting around, not doing anything, not living for God, that's when temptation begins to creep in. But it's when I'm so busy living for God about his purpose and not about my pride, but about doing what God wants me to do. Also, that means I might have to wait on him. It means I might not get things right away, but I've got to follow God. Because the point is that in all of this, the end can't justify the mean because what happens is through the means, is through the, the work to get the purpose, get the thing that we want, is that we begin to grow character. And, and for your calling needs character to build it. Because the, the, the burden weighs the same as the blessing. Another way is said, every new level has a new devil. That when you reach a new level in your life, it's going to require more of you. And you've got to have the character built in the previous level to be able to, to have, the, have the weight that you can hold, the, so it can have, hold up the weight of your calling. That's why sometimes God doesn't say yes to our prayers, not because he's mean, but because he, 
he realizes that if he was to bless us at, at the present moment, our character wouldn't have the weight to hold that, the, the burden of that blessing. And so God wants to, sometimes in, in his mercy, wants to hold out. And so we need to remember that. That ultimately in all of this, what Jesus came back to was the word of God. He came back to his faith in God. And, and I love this verse in Proverbs 3. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. See at the end, in the end of Matthew, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus got it. He got authority not just on earth, but in heaven as well. But he got it the right way. He got it in the way that we're supposed to get it. And I think he wanted to show us an example of that he trusted in the Lord. He leaned on God. Even in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, not my will, but your will be done. Because he knew that calling comes through having your character built. You can't talk to our temptations to lead us down the path of temptation and into having our heavenly calling compromised. We've got to trust God in all of this. Let me pray. God, thank you for all this. Thank you for what you've done, God. Thank you for all that you, for this message. God, I pray for this, and I pray that um, in all of this, God, that you would be able to just show us, God, what, what we need to take away for this, for this talk. Thank you, in your name we pray, amen.